Now entering Nerdist.com. Hello and welcome to episode 127 of the Competitive Erotic Fan Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Cook, and you've found the Internet's number one most trusted source for Muppet boners and horny loners. Got some upcoming shows. June 21st is the third anniversary here in Los Angeles, which means it's a championship edition. That's at the Virgil, and it's free. June 29th, Union Hall in Brooklyn. That is not free. Get tickets. It will sell out. July 8th, live at North Bar in Chicago. July 9th at the Comedy Attic in Bloomington. July 10th and 11th, I'll be opening for Ian Carmel at the Comedy Attic doing stand-up. July 12th, I'm headlining in Indianapolis. Venue to be announced. Follow me on Twitter, at Brian Cook, and come out to a show. Uh, today, we've got Ben Kronberg, Maria Heinick, and Max Silvestri, Dave Hill, and Guy Branham. Damn, that's a good show. Reading pieces they wrote based upon audience suggestions. This was recorded live back at Union Hall on March 21st, earlier this year, 2015. So first, you'll hear them draw topics. Then we'll fast forward into the future to hear the finished pieces. By the way, did you know that we've got official competitive erotic fan fiction merchandise now? Yes, we do. T-shirts, men's and women's. Go to estoymerchandise.com find a listing of podcasts on the right side of the screen click on competitive erotic fan fiction support the podcast they're 26 dollars shipping included estoymerchandise.com find competitive erotic fan fiction on the right hand side buy some shirts enjoy the show bless me father if i have sinned it has been exactly 12 months to the day since my last confession uh saint patrick's day was real weird I mean, it started off normal. I met the guys for breakfast, shots like you do. He was getting hammered, except for Marky's idiot friend Greg, who ordered a fucking farmer's omelet and a latte like a friggin' homo. But the rest of us slammed back like half a bottle of Bushmills, even though Trevor's bitch cousin Linda wouldn't stop prattling on about how it was Protestant whiskey, like that annoying fucking retard that she is. It's like, right, Linda, as if you go to church without catching on fire. I was like, hey, Linda, would I want the opinion of some soused-up gash from Lowell, I'll holler. But don't hold your breath. Anyway, Father, we was half-pissed and stumbled out of Blonnie's to head over to O'Shambles for lunch beers. Halfway there, we was passing this queer bar called Gulpin' Gary's. And that's when Mark was like, dude, what if we went in for a beer? You know, just as a lock. I was like, Marky Mark, you're a genius. I should point out for legal concerns that this was not Mark Wahlberg. Just some fucking guy I grew up with that we always called Marky Mark because we're hilarious. <laughs> Marky Mark and I split off in the pack and entered Gary's. Look, it was okay. I got no problem with a bunch of backdoor Harriets as long as they're not trying to get me all stove up. It was pretty crowded for noon, but it's St. Patrick's Day in Boston, so people get fucking rowdy, even the quiffers down to Gary's and fucking fake Irish like Mark, who's 100% Polak if my mom is to be believed. <laughs> She says his granddad changed his name from Jaworski so he could pass as a mick and get work as a cop in the 20s. Makes sense that he's Polish, Mackie drinks like a bitch. Anyway, there we was at Gary's. Now keep in mind, Gary's wasn't like a dance club gay bar. We're not talking about the kind of gay bar that a bunch of bachelorettes named Megan would be caught dead in. No, this was like dank and dirty and sticky, like a good old-fashioned chug-and-plug gay bar. You know. So we ordered two Killians because we're Irish and sat at the bar. It wasn't so bad. There was a game on. And it wasn't long before Marky Mark had another brilliant idea. He was like, dude, what if we dance with those sailors? You know, just as a lock. It was Fleet Week. The place was lousy with squids. 
We took the Floyd, found two muscly sea wives, and let them have a little thrill, you know, like grinding all up on us. I mean, why not? It's Irish Christmas. <laughs> so we danced for a bit with them Sally's, and then we both went in to take a piss. And just as I was finishing up, I hear Maki in the next stall over go, Dude, check it out, glory hole. I looked down, and sure as shit, there was Maki's hog sticking through a hole in that cheap plywood divider. I started laughing, and he was like, Come on, man, just as a lock. I didn't think anything of it It's not like I'm fucking gay or nothing So I dropped down and started sucking off my best friend I mean it's St. Patrick's Day Why not chase a few snakes, you know? It wasn't long before Maki blew it like Bill Buckner Not a sports crowd? But just as soon as he pulled out of the hole, another dong jammed its way in, and then another, and then another. I lost track, if I'm being honest. I don't know if I was in there for an hour or a month. I was packing away cum like they pack away creamed corn on doomsday preppers. You know, like it was going to be my only protein source after the apocalypse. I was like a jizz hoarder. And dude, it wasn't just my mouth. Them boat barbers started taking me from both ends. I was high-fiving Maki. Dude, it was nuts. <laughs> Needless to say, by the end of the night, I was broken in like Carlton Fisk's glove. Again, not a sports crowd. <laughs> I'd had about nine innings of my own, if you know what I mean. I mean dicks in my ass and mouth. <laughs> So we limped out of there. I'm telling you, I was like a sorority girl wobbling around on high heels, except too many shooters wasn't the problem, if you get my drift. We joined up with the gang back at O'Shambles, barely able to walk. Sailor gunk still running down my leg. Oh, and I walk in just in time to hear Maki's friend Greg order a sangria like a total gaylord. <laughs> anyway, Father... about the extent of it. Oh, and I lied. That was totally Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> so, happy St. Pat's Pro. I'll see you the same time next year. Go Sox. <laughs> Thank you very much. Eli, if I could get those suggestions, and please welcome your round two comics who will be writing based upon your suggestions. Guy Branham, Dave Hill, Maria Heineck, Ben Kronberg, and Max Silvestri. <laughs> Clap your hands for your round two comics. Hey, everybody. Let's start with Ben Kronberg. Where's everybody else? Clap your hands for Ben Kronberg. There's Max. Yes. Where's Dave Hill? Where the fuck is Dave Hill? Here's, where is Dave Hill? Where the fuck is, is Dave, Dave Hill? He was back there changing into his red pants. <laughs> All right, here's how this part works. If he likes the first suggestion, he can take it and run with it. If he doesn't like it, I will draw a second one, and then you will all vote with your applause on which one he has to write. Ben, your first option is Punisher. All right. Very quiet in here. Uh, the general concept of dictators. <laughs> so who wants to hear The Punisher? I mean, one of you wrote it. <laughs> dictators. Yeah, Grover, keep it going for Dave Hill. Dave, your first option is March Simpson. All right. That's a horrible suggestion. <laughs> your second option is man versus food. So who wants to hear March Simpson? That's the show, not like a general concept. It is a television program. Man versus food? 
right. Dave Hill, man versus who? Let him hear it. Max Silvestri, keep it going. Uh, your first option is hoarders. <laughs> I take hoarders. Yeah, that's a soft one. You have to take hoarders. Clap your hands for Max. Maria Heinig. Clap your hands. Yeah, good decision, Max. Yes. Uh, are we... Okay. Are we allowed to trade with people in the back? No, you are not. You can't really stop us, right? Nope. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Well, this is either the film or just the food item, but butter is your first suggestion. Yeah, You're going to take butter? Maria Heinig. And finally, Mr. God Random. Fresh off the boat. Let me hear. Fresh off the boat. <laughs> uh, all right, I don't know if this is a real thing. Lulu White? What is that? Someone yell it out. Uh, uh, Louisiana Madam. What now? Uh, New Orleans Madam. It's a famous madam? Yes. All right, famous Madam Lulu White is your first option. I'm going to call. I'm going to call your own rules. That's a thing inherently sexual. <laughs> that is, you're right. That would be porn about porn. Good call. How do you feel about <laughs> Sylvia Plath? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. I ran him. Thank you. <laughs> With another wicked softball. Hey, keep it going for your first round. Ready? Ladies and gentlemen, your first round two competitor, Mr. Ben Kronberg. <laughs> Thanks for being ready, pal. Oh, God. Ben Kronberg, ladies and gentlemen. It was great, right? This is not going well. So, uh, I had uh, Dictator. Uh, this is called uh, The Lictator. <laughs> I wish that wasn't the best thing that I wrote. Growing up, I had a dog named Hitler. <laughs> Hitler was the best dog a boy could ask for. Hitler's fur was the, the best part of... best part of Hitler. I mean, Hitler came when I called him. Hitler was a special dog. Um... He didn't like Jewish people. Uh, so when I took Hitler for walks in our primarily Jewish neighborhood, she would bark and bark. And Hitler was uh, a very special dog, um, not because she could shake, and not because she could play dead, um, but because when she licked you, you were under her spell. <laughs> Whenever Hitler would lick me, something would happen. I felt I could communicate with her telepathically. When I looked in her eyes, I saw what she meant. When I felt her tongue against my ribcage, I knew exactly what she was thinking. Now, I'm not telling you all this to make you believe in the supernatural to make you believe that dogs can talk, or I'm not trying to describe to you in any ironic, sarcastic way the gross mistreatment of animals. <laughs> I'm telling you this because it's true. <laughs> One day when Hitler was communicating with me, I sensed she wanted something more. 
As I began to pet her, I saw her pupils dilate. The frequency of her panting increased. I noticed her roll over on her back and expose her nipples. Her nipples were the largest dog nipples you've ever seen. You see, when I was 13, I had my first experience um, with nipples. And it was when we first got Hitler. My father woke me up one morning with a with a puppy, and the puppy had the biggest nipples you'd ever seen on a puppy. As my sleepy eyes opened, my father placed the nipple of this puppy into my mouth. Honestly, I think it was just because I grew up without a mother, and he was just shooting from the head. I woke up one Sunday morning with a puppy between my legs. Well, actually, it was a pretty big puppy. I went out to the living room and turned on the TV. There was a documentary about Hitler playing on the biography channel. I was transfixed. Not because of what was being said, but what I was seeing. In many of the shots Hitler was shown with a dog, and it looked exactly like mine. For some reason, I began to get horny. I think the man who molested me when I was younger was also a racist. That's just how it goes, I guess. Anyhow, my erection became full and my hunger intense. As I scanned the room, I noticed the dog looking at me and Hitler's voice... Sounding off, I just couldn't help myself. I took my dog by the scruff of the neck and buried its head into the carpet. I pulled out my fully erect penis and I plastered it inside my dog. As my grip loosened, I noticed her vagina open and swell at the same time. I could barely keep my eyes from rolling into the back of my head. I had never felt like this before. (laughs) As I climaxed and shot my human load into her canine pussy, my sweet, sweet dog turned around and licked my face. As I looked up from the furry mess, I saw Hitler standing there on the TV. And that's how I got... um, that's how I named my dog, uh, Hitler. Ben <laughs> Trumberg. Ah, Mr. Guy Brown. Keep it going. I had Sylvia Plath. <laughs> surrounded and surrounded. Then day, then night. Then blue beneath blue. Linoleum demands me, commands me, fills me with its need for wax, waxing needy, waning its yellowed sunbursts of the joy I cannot feel. (laughs) Sylvia missed college. At Smith, she'd felt more like herself than at any other time. The intellectual stimulation, the focus, the bohemian Jewish girls willing to do anything to hurt their mother's feelings. The world split at her feet like a ripe watermelon, and she lapped up its juices like a bohemian girl willing, uh, like a bohemian Jewish girl willing to do anything to hurt her mother's feelings. 
The steel skies of Northampton had been boundless, but a prison had risen around Sylvia's footsteps, a prison named Ted. Named Love. And Sylvia's body had grown into that prison through the bars named Frida and Nicholas. From the cells of her body, she made the cell of her incarceration. Sylvia contemplated an egg. She contemplated eggs most mornings. Most of the wives on Primrose Hill, London, just woke up and made their husbands breakfast. Not Sylvia. Every morning, she walked into that kitchen with the best of intentions of making breakfast, but every time she picked up the avoid ivory encasing life, she became ensorcelled. Ted would walk down, kiss her on the neck, the children would run in begging for her attention, then the nanny would come and make them some porridge. Sylvia was lucky if she broke the egg spell in time to pull out some bacon and become overcome by the inhumanity of eating flesh. (laughs) Sylvia put down the egg and took one of her pills. She loved her pills. More than Ted, more than Nicholas, not more than Frida. She's cool. (laughs) She gulped down the pastille of stability and waited for it to assuage the sea gods within her. Swells of protean anguish and desire. Ted's dick was small. Like, small. Sylvia had only seen four in her life, but one of them was Italian, and she was aware that Ted's was, like, unusually small. He had never been able to release the demons of Sylvia's body. For a while, if she rode her bike just right, she'd been able to find some degree of peace. But peace is a passing thing. A pale peach sunrise that burns into the heat of midday all too soon. Sylvia gripped the mop. She was going to do it. She was going to be a wife and a mother. She was not going to feel trapped like an object, like a toy. She was going to fulfill her family's needs and therein fulfill herself. And as she slid the mop back and forth, she diminished. She died moment by moment. Sylvia straddled the mop. She felt it under her thin summer dress, pressed against her mom's Venus. She ground her hips against the rod, sliding back and forth, and wondered. Wondered if this place might ever be hers, truly hers. Not a prison, but a domain, a thing she owned, a thing she mastered. (laughs) She tore open the icebox and found the coconut cake the the nanny had made for Ted's birthday. She pulled it out and licked it at its glossomer meringue, taunting it, toying with it, sinking her lips into the flesh, pliant as a Wellesley freshman's. Nick entered and asked, Isn't that cake for Papa's birthday? (laughs) Sylvia lifted her face from the cake, poured four tranquilizers into her hand, and said, Take two of these, give the the other two to your sister, then listen to the radio. (laughs) Then she shoved him out of the room. She couldn't let the cake get in the way. Not of this. Not of the only pleasure she'd felt in the past ten years. Sylvia hiked up her skirt. With one hand, she, she sank a spatula into her vagina. With the other, she ran her finger around the sink of the drain. Uh, or the, like the hole in the, uh, the drain of the sink. Oh hearth, oh home. Oh well of domesticity. Dark but warm. Sticky with love and death. Eternities ache with silence of those you cared for, but no one cared to hear. Sylvia shoved her hand down the drain, mashing against discarded vegetable bits and a scab they pulled off Frida last night. She thrust and fisted her home, and her home spatulated her, and the thing that was trapped in her began to embrace her, and she remembered that this prisoner... Oh, she wasn't a Pulitzer Prizeoner yet. I learned that after I wrote that. was a Glasscock Prize winner and a body, not just a font of milk and eggs and kisses on knees. 
She slung the sticky spatula onto the ground, pulled her arm from the kitchen's rank anus, and took a rolling pin to her wedding china. Oh, hymen hymenial, making death with blood so life may pour forth. This virgin's china virtue I claim. She unfurled bags of flour and sugar, smashing eggs and pouring cream upon them, writhing in the kitchen's yeasty effluent. Frida walked in. Mama, those pills make me feel funny. What are you doing? Get out! Mama's writing! (laughs) Sylvia lifted herself. She peered at the door of the kitchen's cruel trap. The womb where dough became bread. The hell where her evenings had been consumed in flames. She rubbed her head with butter. (laughs) smooth lubricated she opened the door of the oven and slid her head in she blew out the pilot lights this would not be a quick burn but a slow slow fuck she turned the oven up to gas mark 4 which is a British thing I totally know (laughs) around 325 degrees uh, Fahrenheit no flame was present though only gas Sweet, sweet waters of leaf, unmaking regret, unmaking pain, unmaking memory. And Sylvia pushed her head back in between the two oven grates, barely fitting, so snug. She pulled in and out, out and in, her body, her mind. The mind that wrote Ariel, the mind that wrote Colossus, the mind that won the Glasscock Prize in 1955, became the Glasscock that fucked the feckin' hole of the kitchen, which was her slave master. Yes. Yes, feel my thoughts, feel my mind. You cannot contain me, aluminum beast. For all these centuries, you have tried to break me, to make me an animal, but I will not, I cannot be broken, cause females are strong as hell. (laughs) The gate, the grate broke, slamming Sylvia's body down as she contorted in ecstasy. And oh, uh, Sylvia was totally a squirter. Her juices... (laughs) spread forth onto the flour and sugar, creating a slurry the nanny would find the children eating when the body was discovered. With her final breath, she moaned, beat that Ann Sexton. Ted eventually found Sylvia's remaining poems and then had them published, and they won the 1982 Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. Ted never won a Pulitzer. But he did eventually find a bitch who would make him eggs. God Branham. Who's ready, folks? You ready? Dave Hill, ladies and gentlemen. Clap your hands for the fabulous Mr. Dave Hill. Um, I had a uh, man versus food. <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) It was a cold and damp night. It was so cold and damp, in fact, that a lot of people couldn't even believe it. (laughs) Anyway, it was on this night that one Adam Richman, host of the popular cable television program Man vs. Food, decided to step out of his hotel room in search of a bite to eat in the town he was staying in, which was in Texas, or some, something, probably. I don't even know. 
So he got in his rental car and started driving and stroking the major boner he was sporting. Fuck it, I'm on vacation, he thought. It was nuts. Anyway, Adam passed all the usual options. McDonald's, KFC, fucking Panera. When he spotted an old-fashioned diner with a neon sign that went flicker, flicker in the night sky, which for whatever reason only made him hungrier. Ha ha. Uh, Maybe I'll check out this local, local diner and see what they have to offer, Adam said to himself while tucking his dong back into his jean shorts. <laughs> then, then he went inside like nothing weird just happened at all. <laughs> Welcome to this diner, the smoking hot waitress with seriously large cans said to Adam Richman, star of the really good show, man versus food. Thanks, Adam said. Hey, don't I know you? The smoking hot waitress asked. Well, I am on television, Adam smiled, pretty used to this by now. Nope, that's not it, the smoking hot waitress said. Anyway, Sit wherever you like, and I or another waitress who is easily as hot as I am will be right over. <laughs> okay, Adam smiled again. Still, deep down inside, he was sad, because it was usually at this point that he'd get recognized and at least get an appetizer for half off or something. <laughs> but, but not tonight. Oh, well, Adam thought, at least it'll be nice to get treated like a regular person and for a change instead of the superstar from that show Man vs. Food. <laughs> then he stroked his cock for a second because, I don't know, fuck it. <laughs> anyway, after a couple minutes, the smoking hot waitress from before came over to his table. So, what can I get you? Adam. Adam said. I'm sorry, what? The waitress asked. I was just saying my name is, is Adam. Adam repeated. Oh, the smoking hot waitress replied. My name is Janet. Nice to meet you, Janet. Adam Richmond from the hit series. Man versus food replied. Blatantly staring at her cans. Well, what can I get you to eat? Janet, the smoking hot waitress with the huge cans from before, said, It's not on the menu, Adam said with a wink. What do you mean? Janet asked. Oh, nothing, Adam said, blushing. I'll just have the chicken wings. You got it. Was it Adam your name was? Janet replied, flashing a boob. Real quick before walking away. It was nuts. Adam couldn't believe it. Anyway, a few minutes later, Janet returned with the wings. Here are the wings you ordered, Adam, Janet said, setting the plate down in front of him. You remembered my name, Adam smiled. Yup, Janet said. Now hurry up and finish those wings. 
so I can get my fuck on. <laughs> what? Adam said. He was so psyched. <laughs> then Adam ate all the wings <laughs> in like five seconds. <laughs> and he and Janet started porking right there on the table. She even let him do weird stuff with her butt. And she even did some weird stuff with his butt because they were so in love. I, I can't believe we're having intercourse here, right here at the table, Adam said. There are customers watching and everything. I know, Janet said. How cool is that? I hope this doesn't affect my tips. Your tips or your tits? Adam laughed. Calm down, Adam. Janet said, suddenly serious. <laughs> then they got back to fucking for a seriously long time until there was wing sauce and jism everywhere. I hope the health inspector doesn't show up. Adam laughed. Shop, Adam. Janet said, suddenly choking him. Then they each came before coming like nine more times and collapsing in the booth on top of each other. You said you were on TV, right? Janet said, yeah, Adam said proudly. I had a show called Man vs. Food, but it was canceled. It was what? Janet asked. Canceled, Adam repeated. Do you have a new show? Janet asked. No, baby, he replied. Get the fuck off me, you scumbag. <laughs> Janet said. And it's gonna be 20 bucks for the wings, you sick fuck. <laughs> then she shoved the salt and pepper shakers up his butt just to fuck with him or something. It sure was fun at first, but Adam Richmond never went back to that restaurant again. <laughs> Thank you. How's it going? Good, me too. Okay. <clears throat> okay, my story is called Coming Up Butter. It was a cold, clear morning at the Mike Tyson estate. <laughs> As his 376 trained pigeons chirped outside, Mike, like usual, slowly woke up in his soft, purple velvet sex swing <laughs> to the call of his morning wood beckoning him to arise just like it had <laughs> ooh pigeons Mike moaned <laughs> I'm really good at dialogue <laughs> how did Mike afford this mansion after filing for bankruptcy in 2003 <laughs> I don't know why are you so wrapped up in Actual details. This is fictional sex. <laughs> hey, nameless bitch thing I keep around for sunrise intercourse. Come do my hot pee-pee telegism. <laughs> <laughs> but it was silent throughout the Tyson Manor. I mean, except for the pigeons chirping, luckily, so that Mike can stay erect. Um, <laughs> thinking about their beautiful, fluffy, plumed feathers... Their tiny, spindly feet things, 
and how sexy it was that they could never accuse him of rape. <laughs> I love pigeons. They're like winged angels, Mike said, not realizing that angels are also winged. <laughs> so he yelled once more, Nameless bitch thing, where you at? This swing is surprisingly uncomfortable to get restful sleep in. And Lil Iron Mike is ready to give you the knockout. But nameless bitch thing was nowhere to be found. <laughs> so Mike got himself out of the swing, put on his robe and his rubber boots. He might have a man boner, but the cow boners needed to be milked even more. Mike tromped downstairs through his hallway covered in framed pictures of other famous people with lisps that made him feel more comfortable. <laughs> Russell Simmons, the biblical character Noah, though I'm not sure how we're proving that. That's like saying the Easter Bunny had a lisp. <laughs> Drew Barrymore, Barbara Walters, probably some other white women. My phone wouldn't load the last few. <laughs> Mike Tyson walked out the commercial side's kitchen back door and headed for the barn. But his pesky stiffy, it just wouldn't relent. I guess I'll just have to tug on these cows with my hot penis while I'm hot. Everything happens to me. <laughs> then he threw open the barn doors uh, like that's not a logistically complicated four-part thing that you do. Like it was one motion... And then lying on the ground Drinking right from a cow's teat Was nameless bitch thing But she wasn't alone Well there were cows Nameless bitch thing too was there And she was wearing her full Pigeon suit Happy birthday Mikey Oh yeah it's my birthday I forgot the convenience of porn is that false premises, like forgetting your own birthday, are totally acceptable. <laughs> Nameless bitch thing was naked, except for a red checkered mini apron that failed to cover her massive monster tits and her surgically minimalistic vagina. <laughs> and she was standing in a big bathing tub, and it was filled with something. What was it filled with? We already milked the cows for you, Mikey said Nameless Bitch Two Thing through her pigeon head mask. <laughs> Pigeons can't talk! Mikey screamed. Sorry, Mike, said Nameless Bitch Thing Two. Oops, she did it again, said Nameless Bitch Thing One. Just come get in this tub with me. Mike got closer and looked in. It was a giant tub of cream. He giggled and tore his rope off, but he left his boots on. He stepped in. Nameless bitch then got down on her knees and started milking Mike. Oh. Someone's just hearing about blowjobs for the first time. <laughs> Nameless bitch thing too went to get in from the other side. She said, uh, Nameless bitch thing one said, NBT2, clean out Mikey's poop hole. You're a pigeon and pigeons clean poop holes. Mike piped up, no they don't. <laughs> Believe me, I tried. <laughs> Nameless bitch thing too, which we will now call pigeon bitch, because that's easier to say. 
uh, got down on her knees from behind and spread her beak until she could get her tongue into Mike's derriere to give it a full cavity search. I hope you're not single. <laughs> oh yeah, you're both my prize pigeons. This feels real good. I'm the champ. Oh yeah. Mike started doing air jabs and moaning a lot. <laughs> I call this the drain cleaning because you is cleaning out all my holes. Oh yeah. I'm the champ. Tell me I'm the champ. Say it. Nameless bitch thing one pulled Mike Tyson's dick out of her mouth. Okay, first of all, you're the former champ. <laughs> Secondly, we cannot suck your dick, eat your asshole, and also talk to you at the same time. <laughs> yeah, and I'm a pigeon and not supposed to talk, remember? Said nameless bitch thing too. Sorry, pigeon bitch. He's like, yeah, that's right. Shut up, pigeon in my butt, you a pigeon. Oh, there's a bird in my ass. This is all I ever wanted. I'm so hot and pleasured. Mike started to feel like he was close. Hey, nameless bitch thing, get down on your hands. I want to put my pee-pee in your vagina from behind like you're a dog or one of the other several animals I find sexy, but society limits me from biblically experiencing as far as the authorities can prove. <laughs> and what am I supposed to do, said Pigeon Bitch. Shut up, you pigeon! How do you keep forgetting the one rule I gave you? Go stand in front of me so I can look at you while I put my penis in the human one. Mike entered NBT. He stared at the giant pigeon. He began to thrust and thrust. This was the best birthday ever. Except for that one when he got all the pigeons. <laughs> Oh, Mike, you're not very well hung, but you're great at rhythm. Thank you, said Mike. He got faster and faster. Everything began to ferment. You're a pigeon, you're a pigeon, and I fucking you. Your vagina feels like the comeback I never really deserved. Your vagina is so good, it feels like it could pay off my back payments and child support. He humped and he humped, and nameless bitch thing knelt on her hands and knees comfortably because, like, she could hardly feel it. He felt himself close and stood up. Ooh, I'm gonna blow! And sperm began to rocket out of his penis dip, tip. <laughs> Sorry, I've never seen one. Well, Mike held his dick with his two fingers, like this, which spanned the whole length. While well, he threw his other hand up in the air, yelling, Pigeons! I'm heavyweight champion of the world! And then he looked down at the tub, and the tub of cream, that cream, well, it was butter. <laughs> and then later he got a show on Adult Swim, even though he's, I remind you, a convicted rapist. <laughs> okay, thanks, like. We're hiding. And your final round two competitor, Mr. Max Silvestri. There he is, Max Silvestri. Clap your hands for your final competitor. What's up, guys? How's it going? Okay, uh, I, I had hoarders. 
Greg, a handsome tattooed guy of 30, walked over to one of his fellow PAs, Julie. She was picking her way through the meager selection of foil-wrapped breakfast sandwiches. She'd arrived at set ten minutes late, and that means the bacon, egg, and cheeses were already gone. Greg poked her in her toned arm, and she turned around. She smiled at him, and with her golden hair and tan skin and white teeth, she looked like a shampoo model. She could be one. Maybe she'd wanted to be. But like for so many in L.A., the practical concerns of paying rent and getting older meant the reluctant acceptance of something steadier. And she'd been picking up production assistant work on reality shows for the last year. (laughs) I hear today's an extra weird one, Greg said. All these hoarders are weird, Greg, said Julie. I can't handle them. They're so disgusting. Garbage everywhere. It's a filthy, sad way to live. I think I hate them. This is only my fourth house, and I don't think I can do a fifth. Yeah, they're a pretty big bummer, but yeah, I hear this lady's even crazier. Oh, why? Is her stack of yogurt cups eight feet high instead of seven? (laughs) Julie grabbed an egg and sausage bagel, and they headed to set. At first glance, the house of this this hoarder looked just like the other hoarders they'd done this cycle. A rundown A-frame set on a quiet street in the San Gabriel Valley of L.A., the unkempt yard gave only the slightest of hints as to the horror that brewed inside. Greg and Julie moved to walk inside. The rest of the crew had already been filming for a day, and to Greg and Julie's relief, there was already a path carved through the refuse from the front door of the house into the living room. This was a gift. It usually took at least a day of pre-production just to make the house filmable, and to make it so the cameraman didn't have to film standing on top of cat skeletons. Greg and Julie stepped inside and stood quietly in the back of the foyer, straddling rotten takeout containers. The director motioned that they were rolling and started talking to Kathy, today's hoarder. Kathy was a small, bespectacled woman in a cardigan and faded house dress patterned with pastel flowers. The cardigan was huge, making her look even smaller. Despite only working on the show Hoarders for two months, Julie already felt like a jaded pro. And to her jaded pro eyes, Kathy didn't seem like a hoarder. She seemed too kind and sweetly. The director, a bored-looking man in his late 40s, pointed at a mound on the floor. Okay, Kathy, that's just a plastic garbage bag. Can we throw that out? No, I keep my empty bean cans in there. Can we recycle the bean cans? No, I fuck those bean cans. Okay, but how about we put them in the sink and throw out the bag? The bag helps me fuck the cans. Julie was very confused. This wasn't like the other hoarder episode she'd worked on. She looked at Greg and he raised his eyebrows. He pointed at Kathy and mined the words... She's a hoarder, but fucks all the stuff she hoards. (laughs) Julie nodded grimly. Greg was amazing at mouthing words. It's why he was such a good PA. The director held something small up in his hand. What about this giant pill bottle filled with a dog's teeth? (laughs) Kathy looked at the bottle. She whispered, My dog Sam's been passed for must be 20 years now. Julie brought her hand to her mouth, suddenly nauseous at the thought of decades-old dog teeth. (laughs) Kathy stared wistfully into the middle distance. Her eyes were even glassier than normal. And those teeth honor the memory of my dog. Plus, yeah, I'd fuck that bottle. (laughs) The director had the camera swing around. Okay, but Kathy, like, what about this jukebox that is covered, I think it's in engine grease, and the glass part in the front is broken, and it's not plugged in because the cord looks like it was chewed in half by a rat? And instead of records, there are slices of rotten deli ham in the places the records go. (laughs) Kathy just shook her head. That's where I keep the ham I fuck. (laughs) 
And this, in this box, Kathy, what's in this box? It's soaking wet. I've got things from my son's room in there. No, no, I've got to keep that. What if Aaron comes home like he said he would someday? And he wants the pennant from his middle school AAU basketball team. And then he wants to fuck that pennant. I've got to have that. Also, I might fuck it. I've got to make sure it's still great to fuck in case Aaron comes home. Suddenly, a mustachioed and sweater-vested therapist stepped forward. Kathy, it's time to face reality. You need help. You don't need all this stuff. I know you are handcuffed by your own anxiety, and I know these objects are your connection to the past, and that you want to fuck that past. (laughs) But you can't live like this. Your friends, your family, they want you to get help. Kathy just mumbled to herself, no, 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 I need all these things, and then to fuck these things. At that moment, the director called cut. Julie whispered to Greg, but like... She must fuck some of the stuff. Greg shook his head sadly. That's the part that breaks my heart. No, she doesn't. She's got a lifetime of memories here, but they're not enough to fuck. She is mentally incapable of conquering those anxieties. And it's sad. It's not funny. It's not a joke. You think she doesn't wish she had a tidy house, a working toilet, that her kids visit her, that she wasn't crippled by panic and cursed to die alone? None of these things are choices, because no one would make that choice. Shame on this show for exploiting that, Kathy, (laughs) under the guise of helping her, and shame on us for even taking this job. (laughs) Julie said nothing. What could she say? She held her breath in that moment. She felt pity, but not for Kathy, but for herself. Later, after the crew wrapped, Julie wordlessly drove to Greg's apartment in the valley. They weren't a couple exactly, but she had a toothbrush in his bathroom. Later that night, they had sex. It was great. Pretty normal. They went down to each other for like two minutes each, and then they did three different positions for like five minutes each. (laughs) Then he finished and went down to her until she was done, but it didn't take that long. And all it was probably 20 minutes start to finish. And it was totally great, because honestly, that's enough. (laughs) If it was a weekend, they might have touched each other's buttholes, but it wasn't a weekend. So instead, they each looked at their phones and watched half an episode of something on HBO Go. That night, Kathy's pile of rear projection big screen TVs that have not worked in years tipped over and hit her in the back of the head, breaking her neck and killing her instantly. Later, the coroner would find evidence that as recently as three weeks ago, Kathy had had intercourse with everything in the house, even the dog teeth. She died with a smile on her face because she died doing what she loved, which was twisting up old newspapers and fucking herself with them. All right, thank you guys very much. Max Silvestri. Stay right here, Max. Let's get everybody from round two back up. Big round of applause for all of your round two competitors. There they are, slowly but surely. All right, once again, I'm going to remind you of what everybody read. We started with Ben Kronberg with <laughs> Dictators, then Guy Brandon with Sylvia Plath, Dave Hill with Man vs. Food, Maria Heinig with Butter, and finally Max Silvestri with Hoarders. So, pick a favorite with your applause, starting from Ben Kronberg, Dictators. Guy Branham, Sylvia Plath. Dave Hill, Man vs. Food. Maria Heinick, Butter. And Max Silvestri, Hoarders. Two champion, you're round two grand champion, Mr. Guy Branham. Big round of applause for all the 
That does it for round two. To hear round one from this show, go back and download episode 126. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It's a big help as our positive comments. For more details on the show, you can follow me on Twitter at Brian Cooking or the show at CE Fanfic. We are running a listener survey to help us know more about competitive erotic fan fiction with Brian Cook listeners. Uh, this information will help us find advertisers that are well-matched to you and your interest, and this will increase the chances of getting advertisers here on the show that actually pertain to our audience. If you could do me a favor and go to podsurvey.com slash Brian to fill out this quick survey. It'll take less than five minutes. It's completely anonymous, and you'll be entered in a monthly drawing to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Longtime listeners have taken one of our surveys before. Perhaps this is a new updated version. It would be great if you could take it again because advertisers like it when we have the most up-to-date answers to the questions and you'll have another chance to win that $100 gift card. So please go to podsurvey.com slash B-R-Y-A-N and take our survey to help the show. Thanks for listening. Now leaving Nerdist.com.